the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. When it possesses a person, and I want to qualify that, when a demon possesses a person who does not know Christ, because the Holy Spirit doesn't share, it's not double occupancy, okay? Single occupancy, you know God, you know the Holy Spirit, and so John writes, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. It makes no allowance for the both to cohabitate together. So you then being saved and have the Spirit of God within you, cannot be possessed, cannot be taken over inside by a demon. Have you ever been worried about demon possession or afraid of the implications of demonic possession? Do you know Christ? Thankfully, believers and followers of Christ who have received God's Spirit have no need to fear the possibility of possession. As Pastor Gary will teach you in his message today, it's impossible for a demon to inhabit a body that's indwelt by the Spirit. In his study, you'll gain a better understanding of the demonic realm and the protection that we as believers receive against it. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. In the story of Luke, chapter 16, verses uh, 19 through 31, uh, there is a story about two men who die. One is just simply called a rich man, and another guy is called Lazarus, who is a beggar. So Jesus tells his story about two men who die. And he says that the beggar, Lazarus, goes to the side called Abraham's side. And the rich man, who obviously did not have a relationship with God, it was not an indictment on the fact that he was just rich, but he didn't know God, he goes to the torment side. Now, here's what everybody needs to understand. Where did people go when they died? Where did their spirit go before Jesus dies on the cross? The answer is, they went to a single place called Hades in the Greek, or Sheol in the Hebrew. When you read in your Bibles in the Old Testament, a reference to Sheol, a reference to the grave, it is that word. It refers to a single place that all people went to when they died before Jesus came on the cross. There were two sections to Hades, two sections to Sheol. One side was called Abraham's side. That was called also paradise. And the other side was called the place of torment. There was a great chasm that separated both sections of Hades. So it is fair to say, but you have to define it, it is fair to say that everybody who died before Jesus came on the cross 
went to hell. That is a fair statement to say because literally Hades or Sheol can be translated hell or the grave. But you have to qualify that because one half of the side of hell was a place of paradise. It was a, it was a good place. It was a place where all the righteous went who believed God by faith through the sacrificial system. Remember on the cross in Luke chapter 23, verse 43, when Jesus is dying on the cross and he has two thieves that are crucified on either side of him. And one of the thieves turned to him and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turned to him and said, truly this day you shall be with me in paradise. Now it wasn't heaven. It was paradise. It was the paradise side of Hades. And that's where Jesus would go in his spirit for the three days and three nights that his body was in the tomb. The other side, the torment side, is where all those would go, that side of Hades or that side of Sheol, who did not believe in God, did not practice the sacrificial system before Jesus dies on the cross, who did not by faith believe God through the atonement of the blood of animals. They went to the torment side. Now in Luke 16 in the story... The guy who is the rich man who doesn't believe in God, he cries out on the other side because he, you're able to speak through and over the chasm, but you couldn't go back and forth between the two halves. The guy who was the rich guy in torment cries out to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, can you just dip your finger in some water and come over here and quench me because I'm in agony in this fire? And Abraham says, no. He says, I can't go from here to there, neither can you come from where you are to where I am. There's a great chasm or a great gulf that is fixed between the two halves, separating the righteous from the unrighteous. The rich guy then, in torment, says to Abraham, well, if he can't do that, can you at least go and warn my family members so that they don't come to the place of torment? Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets to warn them, meaning they have the word, they have the scriptures. Then the rich guy says, no, please go tell him anyway. And Abraham responds and he says, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they would not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Look, the most powerful demonstration of God's miraculous work to change hearts is the word of God, is the word of God. It is not some supernatural demonstration. It is the word of God that has the greatest power to affect change in the heart of a human being. And Abraham says, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. But Jesus shares this story in Luke 16 to help us understand what happened to all the people who died prior to Jesus' crucifixion on the cross. Now, since Jesus has died on the cross, once you put your faith and trust in Him, when you die, you go directly to heaven. The paradise side of Hades is now empty. Now, I want to share three verses with you, and, and I don't mean to belabor this, but I guess I do because I want everybody to understand this biblical truth. So I'm going to give you three scripture verses here. I'm going to read through them. I'm not going to spend an inordinate amount of time on them, but I do just want to share with you this so we can understand how do you figure that Jesus went there and how do we know what's going on here. So here's the first passage from Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 7 through 9. This is what it says. But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, He ascended on high, He led captives in His train, and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? 
He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Okay, so there in Ephesians 4, verse 9, it talks about how he ascended because he had descended to, listen to this, the lower earthly regions. King James Version says, into the lower parts of the earth. This is exactly what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12. He said, the Son of Man will spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It tells us where Hades or Sheol is. It's in the core of the earth. It's in the heart of the earth. You say, well, the core of the earth, scientists say, you know, it's how many millions of degrees and it would incinerate. No, No one has ever drilled down to the core, my friend. That's complete speculation. What the Bible says is that in the center of the earth lies Hades, or Sheol, in two compartments. And Jesus then descends when he dies, body goes in the tomb, his spirit descends to the paradise side of Hades, where he will lead then those who are righteous, who had been made righteous temporarily through the sacrificial system, he's going to lead them out in the train of his robe, so to speak. He leads them into heaven, and he empties paradise side. Now, there's another verse about this. 1 Peter chapter 3. Let me read verses 18 through 20. This is what it says. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went... Through the Spirit, he went and preached to the saints in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Now, when in the world did Jesus preach to the people who were disobedient in the days of Noah? Make a note also in your Bibles in 1 Peter chapter 3, the word preached is the Greek word caruso. It is not the word uh, eugelizo. Eugelizo is where we get our English word evangelize. Caruzzo means to announce or to proclaim. He did not go to the paradise side to evangelize anyone. He went to proclaim and to announce that he was the finished work of the ultimate fulfillment on the cross. He announced across the chasm, putting into effect the judgment against all those who were on the torment side, who had disobeyed God and did not practice the sacrificial system. Jesus announces, Caruso, he proclaims that he is the finished work that they did not believe in, that they had ultimately rejected. And then he leads the captives free from the paradise side and he empties paradise. Now, the torment side of Hades is still occupied today. And all those who reject Jesus will go to the torment side of Hades today, even still. So now today when we talk about hell, it is exclusively a place of torment for the unrighteous because the paradise side has been emptied when Jesus went there and led those saints from paradise side out into heaven. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 3. But eventually, the Hades side will give up the dead, and that's what Revelation chapter 20 tells us. Revelation 20, verse 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. Listen to this. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. So there will come a time at the great white throne judgment when the righteous had already been forgiven, 
They've passed from death to life at the point of believing in Christ. But the dead who are in Hades shall be judged. And Hades will give up the dead. And those who are judged then accordingly will be thrown into the lake of fire. Hades will be emptied, thrown into the lake of fire. And, they will, and, and it will be a place of perpetual torment. Now, this is never God's will because God wills that none should perish, but all should come to repentance is what the Bible says. And so his desires for all to be saved and believe in faith in what Jesus Christ has done. But I share all this with you because when Jesus says this back here in Matthew 12, it can be a little confusing. What do you mean Jesus was three days and three nights? Oh, he just is talking about being in the, in the tomb. No, he's talking about how he rose a greater resurrection than Jonah did from being just spewn out of the mouth of a great fish because Jesus had spent three days and three nights in the Spirit on the paradise side of Hades proclaiming, Caruso, that he is the finished work, the Messiah that the sacrificial system pointed to. He announces that as a point of condemnation for all those on the torment side, and he announces it as a point of salvation for all those on the paradise side who had temporarily believed through faith in the sacrificial system. Jesus then ushers them out of paradise into heaven, which is where we now go directly when we die, putting our faith and trust in Jesus. And the Hades, the torment side of Hades, will be emptied on the day of the great white throne judgment according to Revelation chapter 20. So that's what Jesus is referring to here. This is where he went, the paradise side of Hades. And uh, then he rises from the dead after three days, his glorified body. And now he uh, ascended into heaven 40 days after that. And he ever lives to intercede for us. And he's coming again. So that's, that's the wrap on all of that. Now... Join us back here in Matthew 12, verse 43. Jesus gives us some insight into the demonic world. He says in verse 43, When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. So again, he condemns the generation that doesn't believe in him. But he says, look, they're in for, a, um, they're in for great judgment. And he says, and he compares a person to a home. Because we know it's a person because he says, the final condition of that man is worse than the first condition. And he speaks of it in terms of a home that is swept clean and unoccupied. And so what he gives us is a little bit of insight into the demonic world, that the demonic principalities, when it possesses a person, and I want to qualify that, when a demon possesses a person who does not know Christ, because the Holy Spirit doesn't share, it's not double occupancy, okay? Single occupancy, you know God, you know the Holy Spirit, and so John writes, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. He makes no allowance for the both to cohabitate together. So you then being saved and have the Spirit of God within you cannot be possessed, cannot be taken over inside by a demon. Do demonic principalities work on the outside to, to engage us in spiritual warfare in the unseen world? Yeah, that's what Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's real warfare and demonic principalities that try to work... On the exterior. But in those cases where someone who doesn't know Christ is possessed by a demon. And then they are delivered. 
If their soul is left unoccupied, in other words, if they don't then replace that emptiness with the presence of the Lord, they are more vulnerable than they were before. And Jesus says here, seven other demons will come and possess that man, and the final condition will be worse than the initial condition. And Jesus says, and thus it is with this wicked generation. So he speaks to his own generation because basically saying, look, you all have been delivered of something. You have been given a great truth. If you reject it and you let your life lie empty, you are subject to greater torment and greater deception and the greater presence of evil. But in, con- in condemning his generation, he gives us some insight there into the demonic world. Uh, Verse 46, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That sounds a little little unkind. It's just like, hey, your mom and and your brothers are outside Ah, that's all right. Let him stay. Uh, because my real family are those who believe in me. But, he, you know, he's not trying to be rude to his, to his own family, but he's simply making a profound spiritual statement that uh, there's a greater bond spiritually than there is by blood. And, um, and the family of God is what ultimately defines the family of Jesus, not his own mother and brothers. Now, if you look into chapter 13, because we're going to get into this a little bit, we still have some time here, you'll notice one parable after another. Look at chapter 13. The first one is the parable of the sower. Then in verse 24, you have the parable of the weeds. Uh, And that's not like weeds, like, okay, all right, some of you from the 70s, you're like, wow, I I live that parable. No, come back, it's a different thing. And um, And then you have the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast in verse 31, and uh there's more I could say there, but I won't. And, um, and then in verse 36, the parable of the weeds explained, and then you have the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl, and then you have the parable of the net. So several parables here that Jesus is, is going to give, and his own disciples are going to ask him, why do you speak in parables? And he's going to answer that, but let's take a look at this first parable. It's the parable of the sower. And fortunately, and I say fortunately because sometimes if you've ever read through the parables that Jesus teaches, you can read them and and scratch your head and go, huh, what what is that supposed to mean? The parable of the sower is one of a couple parables that Jesus interprets himself. So we don't need to speculate what the things mean. He's going to actually interpret it further in this chapter. And so I'm going to read the parable, and then we'll skip ahead to the interpretation and find out exactly what it means. And so verse 1, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Now, picture this, okay? The Sea of Galilee, Jesus' ministry takes place mostly in Capernaum, which is a town right there on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus, the crowds are so large that he gets in a little boat, pushes out a little bit from shore, and he teaches from the boat in the water. Now, there's a reason. This is a practical answer to this, because the water becomes a natural amplification of his voice. Yeah, this is the day before PA systems, okay? You know, we have the advantage of, of PA systems, but not in that day. But he pushes out from shore into a boat, and he uses the water as a natural amplification for his voice, and he's going to teach the people. He's in the boat. They're on the shore. They're on, on the Sea of Galilee, and uh, Jesus then teaches them. Verse 3, told them many things in parables, saying, 
a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, Jesus will often end a parable like that. He who has ears, let him hear. If you have spiritual ears to hear this, you, you know what I'm saying. If you don't have those kind of spiritual ears, you have no clue what I'm saying. Now, his, his disciples, verse, next verse, verse 10, they came to him and they asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Now, who are the you and who are the them? The you are the disciples, the followers of Jesus. And Jesus says, you're going to understand spiritual things because you have spiritual ears. Why? Because you believe. By faith you believe, so you'll get what I'm saying. They're not a profound mystery to you, but they are to those who don't believe. Look, parables are both concealing and revealing, depending on the audience. Let me read through and then we'll talk more about it. Verse 12, whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. And then he quotes here from Isaiah, from the Old Testament. He says, though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Okay, they have eyes, but they, they, they don't see this because they don't have spiritual eyes. They have ears, but they don't get it. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Now, your attention. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, a few chapters back, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus did not speak in parables. He spoke very clearly. He spoke very directly. And the reason was because the Sermon on the Mount was given to his disciples, to his followers. Jesus never spoke in confusing parabolic terms to his disciples. He spoke very clearly. He spoke very matter-of-factly. But whenever he had unbelievers in the midst, and in this case he does, uh, because the context already sets that, that uh, context there, whenever he has a mixed multitude, or he's got some who believe in him by faith and some who don't, the hostile ones, the skeptics, he speaks in parables. So that those who have ears to hear will be enlightened, and those who are hostile will be confounded. Now, he does it intentionally, because in the midst of this mixed crowd of those who believe and those who are hostile, the ones who are hostile, their, their hearts then will be challenged, because they'll be like, what is this guy saying? And the ones who already know because they have spiritual eyes and spiritual ears, they'll be going, aha, sure, we understand this. You're speaking in these terms that help us to understand the greater uh, picture of the kingdom. That's why he speaks in parables. Jesus says, there's some who are hostile towards me. They don't get it. But it's not because my words are vague. It's because their hearts are unbelieving towards me. 
you get what I'm saying because you have eyes and ears that hear spiritually and see spiritually. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been walking us through the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. This unique perspective on Jesus' life gives you a glimpse into the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the true King above all kings. Jesus' greatest act while on earth was to give His life to pay for the sins of every person, and that includes you. If you're ready to step away from your mistakes and failures and embrace a new life, Jesus is ready for you. His grace is enough. You can come to Him no matter what your past looks like. Would you like someone to pray with you? Or do you have some more questions? We'd love to talk to you. Please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to meet you, too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online. And you can find all the information you need on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There, you can also hear additional messages from the series in Matthew or others that Pastor Gary has shared. Again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know